Welcome to Leading Lights. Thanks for listening. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Praise the Lord. I'm going to read you a story. We read it last week. I'm going to read it to you again just for this couple of weeks and maybe next week. I want to sit on this one story in Jesus' life because it is so full of meaning. I, I just believe it encapsulates the whole of the gospel in this one story. So Matthew chapter 17 and verse 1. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. That's a weird word, transfigured. It's a religious word. The Greek word is metamorpho, which means uh, metamorphosized, like a, a caterpillar goes into a cocoon and comes out as a beautiful butterfly. That's what happened to Jesus. And it appears in the two Gospels, um, Matthew and Mark, talking about Jesus being metamorphosized. But then in Romans 12, verse 2, it says, we should be metamorphosized, changed, transformed by the renewing of our minds. That same word. And then in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, it says, as we gaze on his glory, we are metamorphosized from glory to glory. So four times that word appears in the Bible, twice about Jesus, twice about us. And let's see what it says about him. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as the light. Now, if you know your Bible, I don't know if you like this, but my, my brain works that when I read something in the Bible that's mentioned somewhere else in the Bible, my brain immediately goes click, 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 and I do a bit of cross-referencing. And that, that phrase, his face shone like the sun, also appears in Revelation chapter 1, where John is having a vision of heaven. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day on the island of Patmos, and suddenly there was one like a son of man. And his, he shouted like a trumpet, I am the Alpha and the Omega. You know that story? And Jesus appears to me. He says his hair was white like wool. His eyes were blazing like fire. Uh, he was like a, a, a blazing fire. But then it says his face or his countenance shone like the sun. So all that happened here on this mountain, and it was probably Mount Hermon, a very big high mountain in the north of Israel, probably what happened was the Jesus of heaven just broke through out of the fleshly Jesus of earth. That's what happened. It's like a time warp has happened. It's as if Peter, James, and John are in, on earth in AD 28, and suddenly they're transported to the future, to the eternal realm where heaven is, and they see Jesus as he is after he's been crucified, when he's in heaven glorified, the real Jesus, shining with all his glory. And that's what he looks like now. But I want you to just lodge in your mind this idea of time travel. They, they traveled ahead in time. They saw something of the future. Let's read on. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Amazingly, Moses and Elijah. These are the two biggest characters in the Old Testament. Moses gave the law, and Elijah was the great prophet who defeated the, the uh, priests of Baal, on the mountain, remember Mount Carmel? Do you remember the story? We spoke last week about Moses and his experience on the mountain and how ours is greater. Let me just tell you briefly about Elijah. Elijah was a great prophet. And God said to him, 
Tell the king Ahab it's not going to rain for three years. Well, he didn't say three years. He said it's just not going to rain unless I pray and say it's going to rain. And then he calls all the people up on Mount Carmel and 450 of the priests of this false god called Baal or Baal. And Elijah says, you guys try and get your god to consume with fire the sacrifice. And they try and they cut themselves and they scream and they dance and they pray and they wail. And, and, and Elijah's taunting them all the time. He says, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he just shouts a bit louder. And then Elijah says, Lord, it, when it's his turn, he pours water on his sacrifice and water all around it so that there's no earthly way it could catch fire. And then he says, Lord, show them that I've done this at your word, that I've done this because you told me. And fire comes down from heaven. Do you remember the story? Consumes the sacrifice. The glory of God just consumes the earthly sacrifice. The people are just amazed. And they say, God is the, the real God, not Baal. And then they, Elijah himself takes all four, 450 of these prophets or priests and he kills them all with the sword. Amazing stuff. And then Ahab's wife, Jezebel, sends him a letter and says, just like the, you killed those guys, I'm going to kill you by this time tomorrow. And it says, when Elijah saw this, and it wasn't the letter that he saw, he saw in his imagination her stabbing him. And it says, when he saw this, his heart melted. He was just petrified. And he just, he went into a tailspin. He ran to one place and then he ran and walked another place. Uh, 40 days he fasted and he ended up at Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, which is where Moses got the Ten Commandments, that same mountain. And he goes up on the mountain and God speaks to him. This is all in 1 Kings 19, if you want to read the story. And it says that God said, I'm going to speak to you now. And there was a wind, such a strong wind that it ripped the rocks apart. But it says God was not in the wind. And then an earthquake came and Earthquakes rip things apart as well, but it says God was not in the earthquake. And then a fire came, but God was not in the fire. And then there was a still small voice and the Lord spoke to him and the Lord refreshed him. He was depressed. He was messed up in his mind. He was just couldn't get out of his head the idea that Jezebel wanted to kill him. And God's word spoke to him in a still small voice and gave him a, a commission. Said, go and appoint Elisha, go and do this, go and do this, and I'm with you. And suddenly his whole mental attitude was changed because he heard the still small voice of God on a mountain. Now these two great guys, Moses and Elijah, appear with Jesus and they're talking. We, we're told in Luke that they're talking about Jesus' death that's going to happen in about a year's time and they're preparing for it. But... They're talking, and then this is what happens. And Peter, verse 4, answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. He's talking about Peter, James, and John. Saying it's good that we're here. And I think it's Luke says Peter didn't really know what he was saying. He was just in blabber mode. He was like, wow. And he, it's, good, it's great that we're here, Lord. I mean, why would he think it's great that they're there? It's as if he's offering anything... You know, sometimes we get like this. We get a bit, we get focused on ourselves. We're there in front of the glory of God and we start thinking about us. We say, I can see why the Lord chose me to be in this ministry. I, I, God's quite lucky to have me on his side. And we start looking at us. It's good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles. One for you, 
One for Moses, one for Elijah. Remember the tabernacle in the Old Testament was a tent, but it was a, a major tent. It was an incredible tent with gold and all sorts of furnishings. And God's presence, God's glory, heaven itself came into the holy of holies of the tabernacle. Do you remember that? <clears throat> so that the cloud overshadowed the tabernacle. And Moses would go in and talk with the Lord and his face would shine. The tabernacle, the the physical place, which then got made into a brick temple, but it was a physical place where God's glory dwelt. And Peter's saying, let's make three physical places to keep the glory of God. Let's keep it in a physical thing. Error. Bah, wrong, <laughs> wrong thing to say. But also, he said, let's make three. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. As if to say, Jesus you're the same as Moses and Elijah. The Old Testament guys, you, we're all the same. Let's use the Old Testament the same as we use the New Testament. Let's read verses in the Old Testament and just give them the same importance as we do the New Testament. And God, it says, verse 5, while he was still speaking. So Peter's in mid-sentence, blabber mode. Blah, blah, blah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Not all three. This one. Listen to him. Stop talking and listen. Some significant stuff here. And I just want to draw a few points out of this. There's a lot we could say. Let me just say that heaven coming down into this realm, this physical realm, heaven we know is a different realm. It's, it's a spiritual realm all around us. But coming and shining into this physical realm and the future heaven, the future glory of heaven coming into this time, that's what Jesus was all about. That's what he was all about and that's what you and I are supposed to be all about. Jesus came preaching, the kingdom of heaven is here. Do you remember? And he preached he said the kingdom of heaven is here. Heaven, that future glory place, it's here in this place. Even though it's going to be glorious and there's a city and the streets of gold and the rivers of living water and no more crying and all things are made new, old things have passed away. Even all of that is amazingly other to us. He says it's here now. It's here. That was Jesus' whole ministry. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. It's all of Jesus' whole ministry was about showing that heaven can break in here and now. And that's what happened here. And that's what we need to try and work out and understand. How does that happen for us? Very important. Let me just talk about time and eternity very quickly. It's a big topic. Um, we've got a, a talk on the internet if you want to look it up. I think it's called Predestination where we talk about this a little bit more. But the Bible says in Titus 1 verse 2 that God promised certain things before time began. Titus 1 verse 2, it says before time began. And it's, the Greek word is aeon, which means ages, and chronos, time. It's hard to interpret, but it says before time began, kind of in the eternal aeons, the ages, God promised some certain things. So there was a time when time began, and we know that there is an end. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. There's an end. 
to time and to all of matter, all physical things. Time and matter will have a beginning and an end. But God lives in eternity, we're told. Isaiah 57 verse 15. God inhabits eternity. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, From everlasting to everlasting you are God. So not from beginning to end, from a time called everlasting to a time called everlasting. We think eternity just means a very much long, long, long amount of time, but it doesn't. It means where there's no time. And so, when somebody dies, have you ever thought about the fact that the Bible says judgment day is right at the end? Uh, Revelation 20 says, all the dead, both great and small, will stand before Jesus. Right at the end. Matthew 25, Jesus calls all the nations before himself and he judges them. So, judgment day is right at the end of time. And yet, when people die now, they immediately go to heaven. They don't have to wait for judgment day at the end. Why is that? How could Moses and Elijah be here with Jesus if they had to wait for judgment day right at the end of time? Why could Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8, it's, I would rather be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Hebrews 12 verse 1, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, how can they already be in heaven if judgment day is at the end? Jesus says to the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. How is that possible if he has to wait till judgment day at the end? Uh, Ephesians, I think it's 3, says, Praise the God and Father from whom the whole family in heaven on earth derives its name. Oh, so there's part of the family in earth and there's part of the family in heaven. How is that possible if we have to wait till the end to go to heaven for judgment? The way it's possible is that time, as soon as we die, I'm in this outside of time place where beginning, end, I can see time like a little ruler. I can see the beginning and the end, but I'm outside of time. Eternity is outside of time. Why is that important? I'm just going to give you a sneak preview of the end of this sermon. Because heaven, where you're going to be for eternity, is already in you. You say, my mind can't comprehend that. That sounds like science fiction. How can heaven already be in me? That only comes at the end when I die. Yes, but your spirit is part of the eternal realm. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 10 says, God has put eternity in the hearts of men. There's a part of you in the middle of you which is part of eternity. Isn't that amazing? It's quite miraculous. It's quite stunning. And so, the Bible can say things like, you are seated in heavenly places with Christ. You say, but I'm not. Ah, but my spirit's already there. Revelation 3, I think it's verse 14 or 20. Jesus says, he who overcomes will sit with me on my throne. But Ephesians 2 verse 6 says, we're already seated on his throne. So, in, in the spirit realm, in the inside of me, there's no time. I'm already there. All of the glory of heaven... You know, it says in, in Revelation 21, Behold, I make all things new. And then he makes a new creation. But 2 Corinthians 5 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is already a new creation. All things are made new. Old things have passed away. So my spirit is already in that amazing place where there's no more crying, there's no more pain. Jesus loves me. I'm forgiven. I'm close to him. I have the mind of Christ. Okay, so let's move on. I want to just talk about faith because when we read stories like this we sometimes think man if I was Moses 
and I saw the clouds and the fire and the earthquake and the noise, I would have believed. If I was Elijah and the prophets of Baal and all this and I saw that and I saw, I would have believed. If I was Peter, James or John and I saw Jesus shining like the sun, I would have believed. Don't you think that? Many of us think that. Most of us think that if I could just see, I would believe. But Jesus said in John 11 verse 40 to Mary and Martha, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. He was talking about raising Lazarus from the dead. He said, didn't I tell you, if you believe, you'll see. We get it all wrong. We think if I can just see, then I'll understand and I'll, I'll, I'll believe just like Peter did. If I could see a miracle, if I could see Jesus walking around, if I could get a vision, if I could just see or sense or feel it, then I'm sure I would believe it. But you know why that's wrong? Because that relies on our physical fleshly senses, our sight, our human logic, our physical body. And that, the Bible says, will never inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 50 says, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So if we're relying on these things, we're trying to use, we're trying to compare apples with pears. We're trying to use a fleshly thing to invoke a spiritual thing, which is faith, which is belief, which is the kingdom of God. We can't use these senses to try and understand or appreciate or or get the kingdom of God. It's got to be an inner thing. It's got to be a, a faith thing, a spiritual thing. Can I read you an amazing passage from 1 Corinthians 2? I hope I get to everything I want to say today, but I've got a strong feeling I won't. So we might have to just do the rest next week. Right, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. I has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. Quite a straightforward statement. No one with their eyes or their ears or their mind has perceived this glory of heaven. Okay? Is that clear enough? No one has seen it. But listen to this very next verse. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. Wow. So some people have perceived it, but not with their eyes, not with their ears, not with their minds. Do you see that? Eye hasn't seen it, ear hasn't heard it. Nobody's, nobody has seen the kingdom of God with these physical senses. It's always a spiritual thing. That's what he's saying. And he goes on to explain this. Verse 12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit is from God, that we might know the things that we have been freely given to us by God. Verse 14, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Verse 16, Who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? <laughs> what he's saying is, Physical senses and logic will never perceive the kingdom of God. If you're relying on seeing before you believe, you'll never get it. It's got to be spiritually discerned, and that's called faith. There's an, you've got a, a physical eye, you've got a heart eye called faith. You've got a physical mind, you've got a heart mind called faith. 
faith is in your spirit where that eternity that he's put in our hearts, we sense it, we know it, we know it's true. I'm going to just quickly go through Hebrews chapter 11 and read it to you. You may have read this chapter many, many times, but I'm going to read it to you from the point of view that faith is just seeing the spiritual realm, this heaven that God's already given to us. So, Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hold on a sec. What's substance? Substance is something you can touch. Substance is evidence. In fact, he goes on to say, the evidence of things not seen. Substance is proof. Evidence is proof. But he says, faith is the proof of things we can't see and of things we hope for. That's heaven. What do we hope for? That's heaven. He says, faith is having proof inside of me of this unseen realm called heaven. And he goes on. He talks about all the greats and how they saw heaven. Let me just read a couple of them. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, not knowing where he was going. Uh, verse 9. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Listen to this. Verse 10. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Which city is that? It's heaven. He was seeing heaven. When God said, go out, he was looking with his heart eyes. You see, we sometimes think all the guys in the Old Testament, they lived by sight and by law, and we live by faith. They also lived by faith. <laughs> That's why they're the great heroes. They saw with their hearts, Moses, Elijah, all of them saw with their hearts the spiritual thing. So he says, Abraham was looking for the city which has foundations. And that again, the cross-reference goes straight to Revelation 21, where it talks about the 12 foundations of heaven, Jasper, Carnelian, all the different stones, and the, and the glory of heaven. Abraham was looking for heaven. He saw it in his heart. Let me read on. I'm going to have to skip a few verses. Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind the country from which they had come, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Do you see? Faith is seeing the heavenly here. That's what they did. It says they were looking for a heavenly country and God has prepared a city for them. Let's read on. He talks about Moses in verse 23. He talks a lot about Moses. He says everything Moses did was by faith. I'm not going to go into it now. Then he talks about all the prophets. Verse 32. What more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, of which Elijah was one of them who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. That's definitely talking about Elijah. He was weak and then God spoke to him the still small voice and he was made strong. This tells us it's by faith. He was seeing heaven. He was seeing the glory of God. 
But now I'm just going to read you this last couple of verses because it's so powerful. Of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves on the earth. And all of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. He says they believed forward for heaven. They looked forward by faith. They saw it, but they didn't receive it. But we have received it. That's what he's saying. He says they didn't get it, but God prepared something better for us. They couldn't be made complete without us. We, after Jesus' death, we are the ones who have heaven in us. You say, Greg, I don't think that's right. Let me read on. Just a couple of verses later. Hebrews 12, verse 18. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded and if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. He says, you haven't come to that Old Testament place. Verse 22, but you, you lighthouse, you Christian, you have come to Mount Zion. Imagine, Peter, James and John up on Mount Hermon, seeing Jesus. He says, even them, they didn't have what you have. You, at that time, they didn't have the spirit inside of them. You have it inside of you. Listen. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come. You're already there. To an innumerable company of angels. You're already there in your spirit. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. To God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks a better thing than that of Abel. He says you're already there. They hadn't got there. You are there. Why is this important? Friends, Moses, Elijah, Peter, James, John. Jesus says even John the Baptist, he was the greatest of the Old Testament guys, but whoever's least in the kingdom of God is greater than, than them. You have what they look forward to. You and I have heaven inside of us. But it's not going to be by physical experience that we enjoy it. It's not going to be by, it's not going to be if you say, God, if you would just do this, then I would believe. He says, no, no, it's by faith. When you believe, then it starts to break through. Then it starts to come out of you. That's the difference. That's the key. You see, most of us, myself included, we start off well and then we fall back into being just like Peter. We say, Lord, let me build a tabernacle. Let me build something physical. Let me try and make this a physical thing. Or let me, let me say Moses and Elijah and Jesus are all the same. No, no, we've got to just stay in faith. We've got to say it's not about physical things. It's not about what my eyes can see. If I can understand and get into what's already in my spirit, then suddenly I become like the heroes of the Old Testament, but greater. 
in James chapter 5. It says, Elijah was a man just like us. He had a nature just like ours. He prayed, and for three years it didn't rain, and then he prayed and the rain came. We can do greater. We can do greater. We can see what God's already put in us, and we can speak and pray and believe and see greater than the Old Testament. Jesus said, you will do greater things than me because I go to the Father. In other words, he was saying, when I'm there, then heaven's in you and you'll do even greater miracles than I've done. So Jesus shone on the mountain. Peter, James, and John saw it. You and I need to understand, it's not for us to look at that and say, wow, Jesus is amazing. It's for us to say, heaven's in me. There's nothing impossible. There's nothing that I can't do. Romans 8, verse 30 says, Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. You're glorified already inside of you. But then he says, If God is for us, who can be against us? Nothing. Nothing can stop us if we're looking at our, what's really inside us instead of at our physical lives. Okay. I think it's good for us to pray and to worship for a bit. So if the worship team could come up. Would you mind standing with me? And I'm going to ask you to close your physical eyes and open the eyes of your heart, the faith eyes. Thank you, Lord Jesus. He says, we haven't come to a physical mountain, we've come to a heavenly mountain. Just imagine yourself. He says, it's past tense, you have come. It's not something you're going to go to, you're already there. And then he starts describing it. He says, innumerable angels to God, to Christ, the mediator. He says, to the spirits of just men made perfect. That means your spirit and others in this place, this heavenly place. Your spirit is perfect. Perfect. See yourself like that. Stop looking with your physical senses and say, Lord, if this is the real me, what does that mean? What does that mean for my life? What does that mean for my prayer life? What does that mean for how I deal with difficulties, challenges, problems? What does that mean for my worship, my service of you, the way that I live my Christian life? Lord, if that's who I already am, how does that play itself out? How do I live my life like Jesus to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth? How can I do this? Thank you, Lord. I'm going to ask us just to focus and worship and as we do, I believe the Lord will again just change us from glory to glory. So let's worship together. Thanks for listening. For more information, go to leadinglightsnetwork.com.